0: Hello, I'm Grayson Brulte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. Software innovations are changing the way we work, play, and interact with each other. And so today I sat down with Tim Frazier of Bosch USA to discuss how these innovations are making the driving experience safer, more enjoyable, and more engaging than ever before. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Hi, Grayson. Happy to have you here because Bosch is an incredible company. The more I study Bosch, the more I learn what Bosch does. It's it's an absolutely incredible company. and I can't wait to dive into the the little section of Bosch that, that you work on today. Tim, when you were a young engineer, you built a Z80 computer. Did this experience spark your interest in electronic engineering? I'm like, I'm researching the Z80. I'm like, okay, this is kind of complicated, but really cool. <laughs>
1: Yes, it absolutely sparked my interest in electronics. Um, Prior to that, I was purely going chemistry. And uh, when I saw just the, you know, I built it from hand. So, you know, soldering it putting, you know, all the components in, testing it out, you know. So I had a voltmeter, I was working on it and building the housing and then with a hexadecimal decimal keypad, I started programming it because hardware is only part of the equation and where I really started to have fun was on the software side as well. So definitely definitely it created that spark.
0: How did you go from chemistry to building computers? Did you say, "Okay, I'm going to make something in the lab, but make it Electronic?
1: You know what? Um, it's it's kind of interesting. I think the thing that always piqued my interest was science and technology, um, you know, in terms of, as well as the mathematics. And the transformation was really at a point of making that decision um, in the university and saying, okay, which which field do I really want to go in? Which one's going to grow the most? You know, I had a very good understanding of what could develop in terms of chemistry as a career, but the electronics was just really at its, you know, uh, early stages when I was in university. And uh, so it was, it was I, I just saw it exploding, especially after doing that, building the, you know, my first uh, Z80 computer and, uh, and, you know, doing all of that content associated with it. I said, yeah, this is just the beginning because, you know, the electronics was the basis, and then the software, I was like, oh my God, I can do so many things with the same hardware. So that was the cool part.
0: Is that when you started to learn assembly language, when you realized the power of code can do it with hardware?
1: Yeah, and that's what I call really close coupling. Uh, back then, with that Z80 micro that I was building in my basement, it was really interesting because a hexadecimal keypad You know, it's just 16 digits. It's like the old phones where you try to text and hit seven three times in order to get T out or something like that, right? But was using four hexadecimal string in order to create a command which correlated to uh, something happening in the, the CPU and loading registers and transferring data and doing mathematic functions. It's really what I call hardware coupled software. So it's really connected closely.
0: So yeah, that's, that was really interesting.
1: Assembly at that point was the basis for interacting with the electronics.
0: Is that what led you to studying the Bosch handbook? We I mean, said, so, okay, Bosch is an incredible company. <laughs> they've got hardware, they've got software. I'm going to study this book and put my talents to work?
1: It's interesting because first of all, you're like, okay, you know, most people that are techies... There's a couple sources of information. Um, you know, the internet access of content at the time, you know, wasn't as uh, available. And uh, accessing research materials or foundation materials, um, the Bosch uh, Engineering Handbook was one of the key things that I used when I was doing uh, simulations and software. So, so electronics is my foundation, um, control systems is my graduate work. And with control systems, there's a lot of math that goes with that, but there's um, also the the connection to the software and uh, determining how you do the simulation. So the cool thing about control systems is this domain connection. So the physical aspects of extracting the mathematical equations in order to do the simulation so that you can anticipate and model what's going to happen in the physical world. So that's why I was using the Bosch Handbook. And I said, what a great company. I mean, man, they really understand every aspect of the vehicle. I mean, it was um, the engineering handbook for automotive. And, you know, whether I was simulating suspension systems or whether I was simulating an engine control system or braking, I could extract variables and constants and equations and then simulate it with software. So that was, that was really what piqued my interest in Bosch when I was doing my graduate work.
0: What was it like when you sat down for your first interview with Bosch and you said, uh, hello, individual, I read your handbook, I understand hardware, I understand software, and this book, you wrote the book on the automobile, I studied the book on the automobile. What was the reaction when you, when you went into that meeting? Well, you know what, it
1: was, it was quite an interesting time. We were a much smaller company back then. Um, And when I did the interview, one of the first things they started looking at was this cross domain knowledge that I had because hardware and software were the foundation, but they had a lot of different positions that were open and available. And so little did I know that as they were asking me different questions, they started realizing, okay, I could put them in this group or I could put them in this group or, you know, and, you know, relevant to selling, I did use, (laughs) you, you know, you nailed it. I really did do a, a plug on the, uh, the Bosch Handbook. And I said, hey, you know, I, I use this for, you know, my, I even brought it in my briefcase, okay? Um, you know, and uh, I said, hey, it's, uh, this is what I used when I was doing my graduate work and some of the simulation. So it was, uh, it was really interesting. So I had a couple, couple different opportunities where I could go within Bosch because they saw the fit um, and the diversity.
0: Did you show them all the notes that you took when you were studying the book as well? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you know, I think the word is annotation. So I did annotate <laughs> the the handbook and, you know, where I started realizing, oh, I need to get some real-world data. So I did some measurements in vehicle to extract the right, you know, variables. So it was, it was pretty cool.
0: You've been at Bosch now 29 years. When you first had that first interview, did you ever think that, that Bosch would turn this incredible... Career path where you'd have a twenty nine plus year run.
1: It, it's interesting because Bosch was really one is was the third company that I worked at, and I started working. Uh, I had the the honor of working at you know two of the OEMs, uh, you know both uh, General Motors and Ford, and I really connected to automotive in general. And I was always trying to figure out how I can get into more of the the content and. The design of the electronics and the software, and so that's what really led me, really led me to Bosch. And when you asked the question, could I have envisioned when I first interviewed that I would be here 29 years later? No, it was uh, a point where I was trying to find the right content. I had a feeling, but 29 years, I mean. You know, back then I would have said, wow, 29 years. What, did you give up all aspirations? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, and, and that's the cool part about Bosch is I really, and, and Bosch enabled me relevant to uh, finding my way. And the, uh, the statement of um, they nobody ever told me, no, you can't do that. Uh, which was amazing because I was seeing opportunities and with the, the US market and Bosch, it was such a great fit. It was such a fertile ground to engage with the customers, which I knew because I worked there. And um, and then also having all this deep content knowledge that Bosch um, you know, provided was amazing because I, I kept calling it going to the well. I would go to the well and find deeper knowledge around the different domains.
0: You were always learning during your early days, always learning during your career at Bosch and putting all the pieces together from the Z80 computer to reading the handbook to your understanding of software and hardware. It seems now leading the cross-domain computing division, you're at home. It just seems like that's that's your home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks, Grayson, for saying that. Um, yes, I do feel like I'm at home. I would have also characterized it of this was A bit of my vision, even 10, 15 years ago, because I saw that um, early on the separation of the domains prevented certain performance. And, and I think that was the thing I'm more of a techie. I'm more of a solution oriented, you know, I'm an engineer at heart. And when I look at constraints that are artificial based on how we've partitioned uh, certain things, I thought, okay, come on, we can do this better. And, and that's what our cross-domain computing solution is. It's the, we can do it better. And, and the good point was we created it at the right time because the market and our customers had to be ready for that. And those key elements that really drove that are really these mega trend market drivers that we see. We see electrification, right? Electrification, you know, is, One of the initial trends that was happening, we always had safety electronics. That wasn't the question, but electrification started to allow our perspective to change. It allowed us to look at things uh, with a different lens. And then similarly, we have automation. With that, automation is another key factor that's driving that tech in. And then with our Connected Information Business Unit within our Cross-Domain Computing Solutions, it's it's the human-machine interface that really rocks what does the user want to do and how to do it in the most easy way. And um, you're now, the vehicle is not just uh, the combustion engine and starting and stopping, it's the whole experience. And what's really cool is, the entire automotive um, market has recognized that uh, very early on of, you know, going from fabrics and textures to now this digital experience. And um, and I think that's one of the, the key enabling elements that the end consumers um, are, are really connecting into, so to say.
0: The end consumers are expecting the digital experience. They're expecting the seamless connectivity. They're expecting the big, beautiful screens in the cars are expecting right. basically their life to go into the vehicle when their vehicle and in, in the HMI with the the human machine interface is playing an extremely large role in the the OEMs today and the future of the automotive industry knowing that what role does your team put into the HMI and say we need to build this right where a con- customer says wow this was great i loved using this system what role does that play i think one of the
1: things that we at Bosch do Um, is really make sure that we keep the end consumer at the heart of the solution, and the heart of every solution, whether it's our safety system, you know, making sure that we're saving lives, whether it's the electrification and getting, you know, the best performance, um, we're always keeping that end consumer in mind because in the end, we're consumers. This has really led to this increased focus um, in the industry to something we call UX or user experience. And a strong example that we see in, you know, I mentioned it already, this connection, this cross-domain computing solution team is this connected information systems group. And it's whether you're displaying the information, displaying the relevant information, understanding what's happening with the, the driver. So having driver monitoring systems in place so that you're recognizing possible intent Associated what they're, with what they're doing, you know, it gives us a tremendous amount of information to to create that seamless interface to the vehicle to uh, anticipate the intent um, or help extrapolate possible intent, um, you know, of the driver. And I think that's that's um, a key element here is let's create that human machine connected interface to be something that's natural um, and and or how we've been trained by other digital devices so that it feels natural.
0: That, that's a really good point about natural because we've become used to it doing what we want. You turn on your, if you have an, uh, a Roku or an Apple TV, you turn it on, it, it has the last show that you left on and you want that same experience in your vehicle to do what it's supposed to do like the other technology in your life. And you mentioned driver monitoring and it's becoming a, a big debate now, both on the, the national level and the state level. How is Bosch working to develop these solutions? Because Bosch has the, the engineering chops, has the, the customers, and you have a an incredible, incredible culture of safety that goes right down to the functional safety of all of your products. So how are you approaching driver monitoring? So driver monitoring,
1: I think um – is is one of the key things that we looked at. And we, we started very early on with driver monitoring with a feature, which is driver drowsiness. So we looked at, you know, what was happening with the individual's eyes over a period of time. We would use other factors like, you know, what was happening with the steering wheel? You know, was the driver still engaged physically? Because, you know, when you start to get drowsy, you, you know, just kind of start, you you. St- have less uh, driver inputs or turning inputs. So that driver monitoring was something that was a key element that we had had done years ago. Now, I think one of the things that with automated driving, you know, you see many elements around level two hands-free plus where with the super cruise, for example, there's driver monitoring that they've implemented as a key element to make sure that the driver is engaged, even though they're hands-free, ensuring that the, the driver is ready to take over when necessary, making sure that they're 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 not sleeping. Elements that that provide a safe experience associated with level two hands free plus. And so, so for for looking at the functional safety view and how do we engage with the driver, I think it's it's a key element in addition to ensuring that the auto, the autonomous system is doing exactly what it's supposed to. You know that's still very highly critical, but also recognizing that it's a driver experience, okay? And so, using user experience with the driver experience, um, you know, it's it's not a true autonomous. So you have to ensure uh, that engagement. Now, the other thing that we're doing is a, a very cool product that we uh, presented at CES, and it's it's called Virtual Visor. So. Virtual visor is something that um, it's a product that we've developed where it uses an LCD screen um, and you activate different segments um, of that screen to block the sun. And so independent of what, so you just lower the visor, you can see through it, it's transparent, but it's looking at the sun's position on your face And, um, and then it's blocking out just by activating one single segment or a series of segments and it blocks the sun. So think about your old or the existing visor systems. You you lower it and it's fundamentally 100% blocking your view in that space. Think about only having it just block the sun based on uh, what the camera is helping determine as part of uh, the the learning process of understanding where is the sun you know especially uh, if you think about that time where the sun's just coming up or just going down and you're driving right into it you know you you put that traditional visor down it totally blocks virtual visor allows just the segments to be activated so you're blocking the sun and still seeing the remainder uh, the remaining portion of the scene in front of you. So, you know, that's a simple thing where driver monitoring really helps enable new features. Um, and uh, I think that's one of the things that's also very very exciting because we also went through a user experience process with that, you know, what is it that drivers, you know, are looking for? And that that seems rather seamless when you think about it, like, yeah, of course it should do that. But our foundation was purely in the automotive segment was just what we, we've we been doing for years. And the other cool part, Grayson, about the virtual visor that I was just talking about, we, uh, it, it came out of one of our Bosch hackathons in the cafeteria roughly about two years ago or so, two to three years ago, we had a hackathon, engineers started talking about it, they were just looking at how do you trace what's happening with your eyes, and they were thinking about it for a different application. And then from there, they pivoted several times. They saw, hey, this is a really good application. They went and engaged in that customer experience to confirm and validate the problem. It's It's been really exciting. And oh, by the way, software is a major part of that.
0: I want a virtual visor in my car today. It's a, to me, this is one of the <laughs> coolest things that I've ever heard, because there's many times I used to live in California, I'd drive with the 101 to Santa Barbara with my family, and. And that sun would come oh. when you're going over those hills and you're and you're kind of squinting yep. and you're pulling it down. You're trying to get your sunglasses, putting one visor on the side, one in front. Yep. So you got this little cocoon so you can actually follow the lanes on the road. I want to dive into this because I think this is one of the coolest things I've heard about in a long time. Is it software that's enabling the glass for this virtual to go down there? Is there a camera that's looking at the sun on the horizon to determine okay, their sun's coming this way and we know that the sun will go uh, fully down at, I don't know, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Could you kind of dive in more on that? Because you've uncovered something that has meaningful value for anybody that's ever driven a vehicle. It's, It's a camera,
1: which is mounted roughly where your mirror's at. And it's looking at the face of the driver. So just like a driver monitoring camera, okay? Driver monitoring system. And so what it does is it's, looking at the intensity of the light based on um, what's happening in shadows of of the the face. And what it's doing is looking at where the eyes are. So as you're turning your head, your eyes are also moving. So that camera is seeing what's happening. And then they're also, they extrapolate the frame of reference of where is the source coming from based on where the shadows are on the face. So if a light's coming from over, let's say over on, on my right hand side, and I'm turned slightly, you'll see a shadow on you know, on my left-hand side. And so it, it, it extrapolates that information to understand where's the source of the light. And, um, and then based on that, it puts an interceptive, um, you know, it activates just a, through electronics, um, a single segment or multiple segments in order to, to manage, you know, normal head movement, up and down, what's happening in the car. You know, as you're going up the hill or down the hill, or or as you know the road's shifting, so it creates a a, you know enough of a pattern that it it blocks it and it feels very non-disruptive. It's not bouncing all over the place. So that's part of that user experience that I mentioned. Um, So it's it's really exciting. We ended up winning a CES uh, innovation award out of the 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 project or the product when we presented it at CES and. yeah, you know, it's just just a tremendous product that you know started from a, you know a couple of engineers in uh, uh, Plymouth and Farmington Hills, Michigan.
0: I can't wait until your customers start making it an option in the vehicle. Because for the OEMs that are listening, please call because I'd love to be your first customer for this <laughs> an incredible product. And I'm very opinionated, so I'll be very happy to give you lots of uh, feedback. And for the record, I think GM Super Cruise is probably one of the best systems there in the world for because they have a, a, an incredible attention to detail and attention to safety. And their GM is just doing a fantastic job with Super Cruise. And Bosch as a whole functional safety division where every new product, you have a functional safety officer that's associated to it. Why did Bosch make this incredible commitment to functional safety at the beginning of the project and not at the end? It's like, oh, wait a second. We've got to incorporate safety in here.
1: Well, Grayson, I guess when we look at functional safety, you have to consider it from a total system view. If you look at it purely from a component view, you're always going to come up short because you you constrain your what's actually happening, um, and you can also fundamentally drive some expensive solutions um, in order to compensate on a component level. So, really, you have to start at the beginning. You have to do it with the system. Design and development, and you have to start decomposing and deconstructing. You know the intent behind the feature. How do you ensure that when it fails, the mechanisms are fail safe? You're looking at, um, and fail safe may mean implementing redundancy or additional software checks, having parallel compute. You know elements that really can be designed in upfront. And when you design them in upfront, you know the cost to implement are not they can be optimized um, in terms of the cost. When I talk about cost to implement, it's really the cost in terms of impact on the design, how much additional um, effort are you driving in, in creating the product in the safest possible manner, or things that are related to the overall system definition. So you're not adding anything that's that's not necessary, but at the same time, you're getting the highest performance in terms of having the functional safety designed in each step and as it gets further decomposed. Because a simple solution, you know, that can be implemented may be the most elegant way um, when it's considered in a system view.
0: Does that system view go down to the semiconductor since Bosch manufactures their own semiconductors?
1: When we look at it from top to bottom, you know, on the semiconductor level, Bosch is very active in semiconductors. We just opened uh, 300 millimeter wafer fab in Dresden, Germany. It's not our only one. So, you know, we have experience on the semiconductor side. And when you do this decomposition, you have to do it at, e- at each layer. You know, you start at the, you know, the overall vehicle system, the control components, you know, meaning the compute components associated with it, the control mechanisms and the actuators. Um, and then also within the electronics, you start looking at various um, mechanisms associated with that. So it helps that we understand every step of that vertical chain. And yes, it's it's very much looked at in terms of how are things designed relevant to the functional performance and the semiconductor level. So it's it's really nice. It's that that going to the well. You know that was one where we went a mile deep on it. You know, and uh, I think that's. That's one of the the real unique aspects here.
0: You might have went a mile deep in the well, but the the positive impact on your customers and the end customer mm-hmm. is astronomically powerful and and positive. Right. Does is cross domain computing is that the glue that holds this all together?
1: It's it's interesting because when I when we look at cross domain computing, I, I think one of the key elements, and we start thinking about it from a system decomposition, um, but we start thinking about it in a software and physical domain aspect. And what I mean by that, looking at the performance of cameras as we go forward, you can envision that, you know, video systems and radar systems, ultrasonic sensing, various sensing mechanisms are gonna be, are are already in the vehicle and will continue to be there. But when you start decomposing and separating the hardware uh, from the actual feature that's being uh, looked at, we start seeing that sometimes certain features migrate across those domains. Meaning, meaning for example, driver monitoring, although it's an automated driving function, might fit really well with that connected information system because there's an overlap of what that sensor is being used for. And then you look at it from a functional safety view and say, hey, you know what, it might be better that we design it for functional safety for the automated driving system, but we partition and put it physically, software-wise, or whatever, in other elements uh, within the vehicle. So, so I think when we start looking at the software elements that are non-safety critical, you know, we can migrate them in one direction or another, or more safety critical. So, using our compute platform, we have the ability to, you know, set up those redundancies, uh, look at that feature. You know, because in the end, you as a consumer, like like you just mentioned, hey, wow, that vi- virtual visor was really cool. <laughs> you don't necessarily care where it's being computed, right? What you really like is that the end feature is the thing that's changing your experience with the vehicle. It's the thing that's, you know, it's surprising you and it's it's captivating you. It's the thing that creates that buyer loyalty. You know, I think that's the cool part with cross-domain computing solutions and because of Bosch's depth within each one of those domains i think the the glue that holds it all together is the computing the enabler is the software and the physical implementation is really that what it means to us in the physical world whether it's the electronics whether it's the display or whether how it feels in the vehicle so the The analog world is what we experience. The digital world is what we do.
0: And you have that great quote, the analog world is our physical world. Is that just putting this all together? And when you meet with a customer, meet with an individual and say, you just say the analog world is our physical world?
1: I think as engineers, we recognize that.
0: Um, You know, our
1: analog is what we experience. And uh, the digital world is, is really, where the software plays, where the electronics plays, um, you know, the feature is the analog. Um, and that's the experience that you're going after.
0: Looking to the future, how do you expect software and hardware to to interact in, in automated vehicles and consumer-driven vehicles in the future? How does
1: software interact at those various elements? Uh, I think... Uh, one of the key things is software stability and quality you know it, it goes to that feature right it needs to work all the time every time um, in the same manner so that it has this sense of surety uh, associated with it um, I think in addition to that that software the hardware interface you know hardware is is that physical world um, it's that physical interface and it's interfacing to our outside world I, I think you know, we're seeing higher computing solutions. We're seeing much more structured software. We're seeing much faster deployment of software, uh, software updates, um, you know, in the development cycle. So through uh, CX or continuous uh, integration development and test or deployment and test. So you see the speed that software enables. And I think that's the connection for me is the end user has the feature in mind or the experience in mind. And the hardware as a basis is the physical reality. And the speed at which we can implement is really the software. And and that's how we realize that feature. So I I think that's one of the the simplest ways that as we go through this, um, so that we have software engineers that are really tuned in to developing software. And they have feature connection and they connect to the end experience because there's nothing more motivating that, than for an engineer to say, I save lives, or I you know, I enable this. That energy that gets created when you see innovation become reality. Uh, there's nothing greater than, than that as motivation as an engineer.
0: Software is going to continue to play a large role. Motivation is going to play a large role. Because as you're coming up from Bosch, you studied the Bosch. Bosch Handbook, and now you're giving back. You helped launch the the Bosch IoT Apprentice Program. Why did you create this? Was this your Was this Tim's version of the Bosch Handbook? Oh, you know, I can't take all the credit by any means.
1: Actually, what was really insightful was through our CTA organization, uh, which is responsible for uh, sponsoring and creating the Consumer Electronics Show, and our partners with CTA. We engaged with companies like IBM and um, and others, uh, like Ford, for example, that are looking at how do we grow the talent. So, Growing the talent, I think, is one of the key things that we um, look at because buying talent is always an option, but growing it is another continuing sustainable method. And it has to augment how we go forward and how we grow. Because you can have some really good mechanical engineers that have an education in mechanical engineering, but they've already been thinking software you know, throughout their you know education and in many regards when they understand the systems side of it they can decompose it and readily you know transpose into software engineering so we started seeing that also with internship programs that we created that there's people that have a tendency to have, or an affinity toward working in those segments. And so growing that skill is something that Bosch has been doing for a very long time through apprenticeship programs. So this was a natural evolution for Bosch, but we needed partners like CTA to help shine a light on it for us. And we worked with the U.S. Department of Labor for certification. So it's not just you know something that's oh well you're a Bosch intern, you know, apprentice program graduate. No, you're Department of Labor certified of being a software developer. So so that's really cool too because I think um, we have a responsibility not only, you know, to our company, but we also have a responsibility to the community. And I think that's that's one of the things that rings true with Bosch.
0: Not only that you're having a positive impact on that individual's life. They're having a positive impact on society. And you you mentioned community. It's not just the apprentice program. Bosch has the Bosch Community Fund. You're doing incredible work with schools and communities. Will you please kindly talk about that work? Because the stories I've read, it's had some really positive impact on individuals' lives. Well,
1: Grayson, thanks for asking. Bosch through our Bosch Community Fund makes grant investments uh, with a focus on STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, in both education as well as environmental education and as well as environmental sustainability. And we're doing this across 30, 39 different sites in North America alone. I think what's really rings true for me is this connection um, that being a longtime Bosch person I feel connected to our founder in many regards. And and he was someone who believed in the community. Just like great founders of the industry, like, you know, Henry Ford and and others, you know, Gottlieb Daimler, you know, these fathers of of the industry, they also had a, a significant social responsibility. And and Bosch continues that through the uh community the Bosch Community Fund. The other thing that we also connect to with that fund is our signature program of Eco plus STEM um, and we actually have the STEM teacher, the Bosch Eco STEM teacher program grant fund or known as the best grant program. So we actually not only affect the students, but we really focus on enabling the teachers because, um, you know, what a tremendous profession they selected. and. It's our responsibility to help them to help them create the mindset of and connection and familiarity with tech.
0: That's really possible, and for our our listeners, if you're in education or you're you're based in Southwest Florida, there's an incredible museum the the Ford uh, Edison Winter where Thomas Edison. And Henry Ford got together, and then Firestone also did rubber experiments there as well. So if you're in the area, it's an incredible way to learn about the automotive industry and how these titans of industry came together to innovate, and they had a really positive impact on the Southwest Florida community when they were down there. Tim, there's been an incredibly awesome common trend on this podcast that's come up several times with different individuals from different backgrounds. FIRST Robotics. You're involved with FIRST Robotics. Why? What, what is it with the individuals? Maybe we're lucky from the SAE podcast to have them come on, but <laughs> maybe five or six individuals out of the 50 plus shows we've done have been involved with First Robotics. What is it that attracts these incredible engineers to get involved with First Robotics?
1: First Robotics, is, you know, they're a key nonprofit partner for Bosch. And I think what makes it so real for us as engineers is that. The associates are volunteering their personal time. They're giving back. They're giving back to the community. And they they do this out of a sense of either personal motivation or personal responsibility. And I think within Bosch, you know, we we sponsor our first teams and we do multiple teams across the country. Um, So it's not just in the Detroit area. Uh, I think the thing that really is exciting about the FIRST Robotics program is that It allows this giving back, but it's also, it's not just tech. I mean, I think one of the things that we learned as we go forward, whether it's our cross-domain computing solutions group or whether it's, you know, our powertrain solutions group or whatever it is, what we see is that great teams that are diverse are able to solve problems bigger than the individual and that's one of the cool things about first robotics is it's not just the tech people that enable first robotics it's the fundraising people it's the media and marketing people it's the production people or the software engineers that are doing the programming or it's the person depending on the test that you know the you know the competition is defining uh, that has a connection to it that figures out something that nobody else could figure, to enable their team. So I think team is one of the key elements of FIRST Robotics that makes it so successful. And so you don't have to be an engineer to, you know, volunteer your time. You can come with the talents you have and you can open up these tremendous doors of opportunity for these students. It's, it's phenomenal and it's tremendously rewarding.
0: Great teams solve problems. It's incredibly true in business. It's it's true in sports. It's true in local communities. Great teams solve problems. Thank you for for saying that, Tim. I want to fast forward to the future because as the world's <laughs> number one automotive supplier, yep. What does the future hold for Bosch? It just seems that Bosch is firing on all cylinders, and, uh-huh. it's, and you're like a rocket ship. Since we had a few rocket launches lately, you're <laughs> just going to the moon. Right. Um, Well, so
1: uh, sticking with that combustion view of, of, uh, (laughs) um, you know, actually our, our future is really sustainable. It's affordable mobility and it's contingent on innovation and advanced electronics with computing solutions that enable artificial intelligence and IoT and IoT is the internet of things and that's that digital experience of how things are interconnected and for me these are the disciplines that Bosch has and continues to excel in so you know that's the that's the key thing that i would say Grayson you know that's that's as the number one automotive supplier in the world that's what the future holds for us and i think that's the thing that really makes our associates impassioned about what it is that we do.
0: As an end customer, please keep doing what you're doing cuz it's <laughs> it's phenomenal and Tim, as we look to wrap up this extremely insightful conversation where we covered a, a ton of ground, had some good laughs. What would you like the listeners to take away with them?
1: I'd like you to look at it from the the past to the current to the future. And I'm I'm going to do it in software terms. You know, 10 years ago, Vehicles contain about 10 million lines of code. Uh, Today vehicles, we're at about 100 million lines of code, which is roughly 100 times more than the space shuttle, and four times more than a commercial airliner. In the future, with automation and electrification, we're gonna see somewhere between 300 to 500 million lines of code. So, with key technologies like artificial intelligence starting to emerge even more, and the role of software, it's only gonna to continue to increase. So, because so many features and functions are really software dependent and software enabled, software is the key innovation for technical systems. It's that innovation driver that I see right now, it's, it's at the crux of everything that we're doing relevant to the user. And at Bosch, we have such a rich history uh, in software and, and also that specific domain knowledge that it's really invigorating at this time, at this point in the industry and in working in these areas that we're focused on meeting those customer expectations. The car is really a smart device on wheels. and. It's it's unlike any other time in the the history of the, you know, automotive industry, we're at this really unique inception point. And I just wanna say thanks, Grayson, for allowing me to be here and to talk to you because just talking through it, it just rekindles the passion that I have of electronics and software and car and Driving experience, and I'm just really happy to uh, work for a great company like Bosch and work with great customers and partners. That's the other part. It's a team sport all the way around.
0: Well, we thank you for coming, Tim, because uh, I'm super motivated. She said, "Great teams solve problems," <laughs> and you're definitely part of a great team because software is going to enable the future of automation. It's going to enable the future of cars because tomorrow is today, today is tomorrow. The future is Bosch. Tim, thank you so much for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast.
1: Great. Thanks, Grayson.
0: It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. Be sure to join us next time when I sit down with John K. Mizek, Chief Happy Officer and Head of BMW Genius and ANL Motor Sales, to discuss how BMW geniuses are bridging the gap between complex engineering and the consumer experience. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next by emailing us at podcast at sae.org. That's podcast at SAE.org. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and to continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.